Welcome back to our study of the Psalms. We are looking at Psalm 33 today. And Psalm 33 has an interesting connection to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 ends, the last verse, verse 11, says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And then Psalm 33 begins, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous, praise befits the upright. So you have this connection, both of a, a call to rejoice in the Lord and to praise the Lord, but also of addressing those whom uh, the psalm identifies as righteous and upright. Now, if you just jumped into Psalm 33, you might think, ooh, righteous, I don't know if that's me. Uh, I certainly don't do everything right. Um, upright, I don't know if that's how I would characterize myself. But here's what we know from Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is a psalm about forgiveness. It's a psalm about the blessing of being forgiven, and it's a psalm calling upon us to be honest with God about our sins, confess our sin to Him so that we can receive forgiveness rather than trying to hide our sin from God, uh, which is a miserable experience that Psalm 32 talks about. So from the beginning, when Psalm 33 talks to the righteous and the upright, it's not talking about or it's not addressing those who are sinless or who are perfect or anything like that. It's addressing those who have um, come to the Lord with their sin, those who have sought forgiveness and cleansing, um, those who have been honest with God, confessed their sin to God, and um, are able to and, and want to now walk with the Lord by His grace, right? want to live righteous and upright lives, but are honest about their failures and their sins and receive forgiveness from the Lord. Verse 2 and 3 says, Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. That's a kind of, uh, of musical instrument, stringed instrument. Make melody to him with the heart of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. So here's talking about uh, using music, um, not just singing, but also musical instruments to praise the Lord, to worship the Lord. Then verse 4 says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. So he reminds us that God's word is upright, that God's word is trustworthy, it's true. Uh, God is faithful. He not only does what is righteous and just, but verse 5 says he loves righteousness and justice. Uh, it says that the earth is full of God's steadfast love. So there's uh, not only the reality of his love everywhere, but also the evidence of it where we can see it. The earth is full of it as God um, cares for and sustains his creation and his people and, and on and on and on. Verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. So he reminds us about creation, that God made the world, excuse me, the world by his word. Um, and he, uh, as the creator, right, who formed the earth by his breath, right, the, uh, or the heavens by his breath in verse 8 and 9 says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. In other words, how should we respond to the God who made the universe by his word? We should fear him. We should hold him in reverence and awe. We should be amazed by him. We should worship him. Uh, that's, that's the appropriate response, right? Then verse, uh, starting verse 10, it says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. 
He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. So, I'm not thinking, okay, well, God created the world, but now you've got all these people and all these nations, and some of them are really powerful, and some of them are seeking to do things that are evil. Um, what are we to think about that? Well, the psalm reminds us that God did not create the world and then leave it, right? but he's still involved. He's still aware. He's still at work. And he thwarts the counsel, the plans, the, the scheming of the nations when they uh, are in rebellion against God and whatnot. He, he can thwart those plans. Uh, and he makes sure that his plans come to pass, that his purposes are fulfilled. We see this uh, back in Psalm 2, right? There's um, this idea of like the nations raging and plotting and trying to throw off, you know, the bonds or whatever of the Lord and his anointed. And, and Acts 4 brings this in and, and tells us, you know, that this is what happened in the death of Jesus, right? That the nations, the peoples were, were plotting and, and they were raging and scheming and all this. And they they succeeded in putting Jesus to death. But what happened when that happened was that God's plan was actually fulfilled. It was God's plan for Jesus to die and then rise. And so God's purposes, God's plans are always fulfilled, um, sometimes even uh, when the nations get what they think they want, they are actually fulfilling the purposes and plan of God. Uh, verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Now, this is talking specifically about Israel. This is not just saying, you know, isn't it great when a nation of people decide to, to worship God? That's true, right? We want, we would love people of uh, and one day, people of every nation will worship the Lord. Uh, but it's not—it's not a sort of generic statement about it's great when when uh, a nation decides to honor the one true God. Instead, it's talking about the blessing that is upon Israel, who is God's chosen people. That's the second half of the verse, right? The people whom He has chosen as His heritage. And not only that, but that statement is actually true of the church as well. First Peter chapter two. Uh, applies many of the terms uh, that are applied to Israel in the Old Testament to the church now in the New Testament and says to Christians, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now, of course, we're not a nation in the sense of like a geopolitical nation with a, a particular land and boundaries and all a government and all that kind of stuff, but we are a nation. We are a people set apart by God, holy um, it goes on to Peter goes on to say a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellences excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Now we are if we're Christians we're chosen like Israel we're God's people like Israel. The, uh, we've been um, as someone uh, reminded me last night when we were talking about this we're grafted in right we're grafted into Israel so um, that's what that's talking about there. Now verse thirteen says the Lord looks down from heaven he sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. So God is not, again, distant and disinterested. He is reigning. He's ruling. He's watching. He sees everything. There's nothing that he misses. There's nothing we can hide from him. He's aware of it all. He watches us all. He knows us all. And verse 16 and 17 says, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength, 
The war horse is false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. So there's all kinds of things that people tend to put their trust in for their salvation, for their deliverance, for their preservation. And the psalm is reminding us, none of those ultimately work. You, a, a horse, right? A, an army, uh, a, a king with great might, whether it's economic power, military power, whatever, none of that ultimately can save or deliver you. So what can? Verse 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. God is not only watching the whole world and, and observing everything that's going on, but he particularly has his eye on those who trust in him, who hope in him, so that he can rescue them and deliver them. God is faithful to his people. He loves his people, and he loves to deliver his people. Uh, it mentions they're keeping them alive in famine. That reminds us of way back in the book of Genesis, when there was a famine in the land, and the, the family of Abraham would have been at risk right, of perishing in this famine, but God had prepared a deliverance for them in advance. Um, in fact, the brothers of Joseph, right, had been scheming wickedly against him, but God, just like, it's very similar to how God was at work in Jesus, it's sort of a smaller scale picture, God was at work preparing the deliverance of even those brothers by sending Joseph to Egypt um, so that he could store up grain, so that his family could be delivered in the midst of the famine. God is at work in a thousand ways we don't even know about, um, way in advance before we even know there's a problem. God is at work preparing a way, and uh, he loves to keep his eye on us and to deliver us. And then the last section of the psalm says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. And I, lo I love this last verse. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. So we're going to be hoping in you. And while we're hoping in you, waiting upon you, rejoicing in you, trusting you, let your steadfast love, your faithful, unending love be upon us. Now, how do we connect this to Jesus? There's lots of ways. Uh, it talks in this psalm about God creating through his word. And John and John 1 tells us that Jesus is the Word, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that all things were created through Him, and apart from Him is not anything made that was made. Uh, we also have talked about already how the, the plans of the Lord uh, for our salvation, for our deliverance, uh, were fulfilled, and the nation's plans thwarted, and they tried to get rid of Jesus. They put Him to death. He laid down His life, but God raised Him up, and through that, God has brought uh, deliverance. Uh, it talks about God being enthroned in heaven and seeing all that's going on in the world. Well, Jesus now uh, sits enthroned at God's right hand. It talks about how only God can save. We shouldn't trust in armies and militaries and things like that. Um, only God can save. Only Jesus can save, right? Because he's God. We can only be saved through faith in Christ, the Son of God, who gave himself for us. Uh, and finally, we must trust in him and wait on him, right? We're waiting for his return. We're hoping in him. Uh, and we want his steadfast love to be upon us. Uh, some things to remember to pray from Psalm 33. Uh, remember who God is and what he's done. Remember that God is not only the creator of the universe, but also the ruler that he sees and knows everything that's going on. Remember not to trust in anything but God to save you. And remember finally that God has his eye upon you for your good if you are trusting in him. And 
being a, a good thing to know. It's a good thing to be reminded of. And uh, I got encouraged and got blessed.